So today we're going to start a new study in the book of Galatians. The title of it is Living in Freedom. Today we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In the 1970s, that was like in the 20th century, it was the same decade that I came to faith in Christ, there existed a so-called religious group that named themselves Missionaries of New Truth. Somewhere back there, uh, there appeared an advertisement in the local newspaper in Evanston, Illinois, and the ad read like this. We want you to join our faith as an ordained minister with the rank of Doctor of Divinity. That's an honorary degree, by the way. It continued, We are a fast-growing faith, actively seeking new members who believe as we do. And here's what they believe. That all men should seek their truth in their own ways by any means they deem right. So, kind of wide open there. And then it goes on to say, as a minister of the faith, you can set up your own church and apply for exemption for property taxes and other taxes. Secondly, perform marriages and other ecclesiastical powers. Third, seek draft exemption. That was really big back in the 70s. Seek draft exemption while working as one of our missionaries, and we can tell you how. Fourthly, also get sizable cash grants for doing missionary work for us. Then in an asterisk, as a minister, you may also receive discounts from some transportation companies, hotels, movie theaters, etc. Get the whole package from us for just $100. This ordination is declared legal and valid anywhere in the U.S. Sadly, it was probably true that it was legal and valid. Um, you know what? The early church did not worry about ordination papers or mail-order doctor degrees, but they did deal with so-called missionaries of new truth. And that's what the book of Galatians is about, is how the Apostle Paul dealt with this uh, in the early church. And uh, so we've entitled this series, Living uh, in Freedom. And um, Jesus said in John, 38, or John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he was talking about freedom from the law, freedom from sin, freedom from the power of sin, um, freedom to live for Christ, freedom from guilt, and he's saying, you got to stay connected with my word. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, here's kind of the theme verse of the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You are called to be free. That's what the book of Galatians is about. So uh, grab a Bible and, or your smartphone and uh, whatever you use, and we're going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 before we start the passage. So let's look at this uh, scripture. It begins, this is 
a common beginning. The, the writer is mentioned first. It's who the book is from. Paul, an apostle, sent not for men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's where we'll end our passage uh, today. Verses 1 through 10. Um, so, uh, and by the way, just let me remind you, every week I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. We have Bibles on the table when you come in. Bring your Bible from home. Use your smartphone because we're going to be in the text week after week in the book of Galatians. We do go to other passages, so you don't have to get lost in trying to find other passages when I switch gears and go to another passage. We'll have some of those on the PowerPoint. But the book of Galatians wants you to be right in the text with us week by week. And there's also an outline in your program and encourage you to follow along. And number one, uh, we begin today. Uh, number one is just really simple. Sent with authority from God. Who is sent? Well, it's going to be Paul the man. Paul an apostle. He's a writer of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a letter written to a group of churches. It's just a letter a leader writes a letter to a group of churches. Uh, you, and, uh, oh, I remember growing up, I went to a liturgical church growing up, and they called these epistles. And every, every Sunday, there was a reading from the epistles. And what is an epistle? And I remember asking that in Sunday school, and somebody said, I think it's an apostle's wife. Probably not. The epistle is a Greek word for letter. It's just simply a letter. And um, so it's Paul, an apostle. We learn a lot about Paul from the book of Acts. Read through the book of Acts, you'll learn a lot of biographical stuff about the apostle Paul, how he became the apostle. In fact, his original name was Saul, and he was from the city of Tarsus. And he was a Jewish religious leader called a Pharisee. And he wasn't just a Jewish religious leader. He was a passionate, highly committed uh, follower of the Jewish faith. And he took it seriously. And we would commend him for how serious he took it. Except when Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, 
Paul, Saul of Tarsus did not like that. In fact, he became an enemy of the church and persecuted the church and put Christians in jail and some to death, oversaw that happening. He was passionate about his religious views. And then one day on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, the Saul of Tarsus had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ raised from the dead. I mean, this didn't happen to everybody. And Jesus got Saul's attention and spoke to him and set him on a new course and sent him on a mission to the Gentiles. And it took, it took Paul a while to figure this out. He was just kind of dumbfounded for three days. And um, Jesus is going to give Saul a new name, and that name will be Paul, and he will become Paul the Apostle. And what's an apostle? Well, apostle is simply a sent one. But an apostle of Jesus Christ is one who is sent by Jesus. One of the requirements of an apostle was one who had seen the risen Christ. And of course, Jesus' 12 disciples, excluding Judas, had seen the risen Christ. And they had been appointed by Christ to go for him and to serve him. And they certainly were true apostles. But Paul was one, of, one who was untimely born, and he comes years after the fact, and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he sees the risen Christ, and he is sent by the risen Christ to become an apostle. And uh, so he is a very significant st strategic leader in the early church. An apostle uh, was one who was sent with authority. An apostle was one who was often uh, an, an emissary, an ambassador, like sent by a king or a royalty. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is the one who sends Paul. The authority comes from God. We see that also. Sent not from, this is the second part of verse 1, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Uh, Paul was not, was not sent by any religious group. When he was on the road chasing down Christians at Saul of Tarsus, he had the authority of the Sadducees in Jerusalem. He had letters from the high priest that gave him authority to do what he did. But not so. No human body had given authority to Paul. Paul's authority comes directly from Jesus. Um, and notice uh, how Paul writes this. He says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And that's just easy to read, and we know who Jesus is, and we know who God the Father is. This is pretty significant. And you think about Paul being a Jewish man, believed in only one God, okay? There's only one God, Jew Jewish Faith is monotheistic. And Paul puts Jesus ahead of the Father. This is like, whoa, what is he doing here? How can Jesus be before the Father? And, and Paul is putting Jesus on equal footing with the Father. It's very clear. It's one preposition by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he's putting them, um, Jesus has to be at least equal to the Father. And then, and then uh, he includes this phrase here, who raised him from the dead. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, by the way, I've seen the resurrected Christ. 
You remember, God raised him from the dead. You remember who Jesus is? Well, he's the one who sent me. And he's the one who has given me authority. Uh, you know, as you think about this, so Paul was sent by God. Guess what? You have been sent by God also. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus told his followers, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, making, uh, by uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. And that applies directly to you and me. If we are the church today, if you are a follower of Christ, you too have been sent to do what Paul did. Maybe not with all the authority that Paul had. You have to remember that the New Testament had not been written when Paul is serving. And so he goes with a unique authority as an apostle. He was sent. We have been sent. That's why our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We are sent to help people connect with God. And we are sent. And we can do this locally and globally. The recipients of the letter, verse 2, and, and he says, and all the brothers and sisters with me, that means Paul is writing. He's, he's actually writing the letter, but his co- he's representing his co-workers. He's speaking. His co-workers stand with him on what he has to say. And his co-workers would probably be uh, those who are with him back I would uh, take him to be at uh, Antioch of Syria. We'll look at that. We'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, this is probably around 48 BC. What's the significance of that? Well, you can see it's not long after Jesus was raised from the dead. This is very early in the history of the church. This may be Paul's very first letter. It's one of the earliest books of the New Testament. If not the earliest, other early books could be James, could be 1 Thessalonians. The Gospel of Mark was pretty early. And uh, this is very early. And one person that would be with uh, Paul for sure would be uh, Barnabas. So he's representing Barnabas at this time. And uh, then he says, to the churches in Galatia, and the, and the word for churches is ecclesia, and, you know, I don't like to go use a lot of time to talk about Greek words, but this just means called out ones, and this, this is, these are people. Churches aren't building. These are groups of people. They are assemblies of people, and a church is an assembly of people. It's not a person. Believers are always to be connected corporately in an assembly somewhere on planet earth we call them local churches there isn't such a thing by the way as a christian without a church it's not a new testament concept at all it's only perhaps a modern uh human idea uh to the churches in galatia um Paul made a, his first missionary trip in Acts 13 and 14. He made three in the book of Acts, three major journeys out into the Mediterranean world, and he planted churches. And um, you can trace three of those journeys. Let's see the map. Okay, 
Go down to the bottom right and you can see Jerusalem. A lot of stuff has happened in Jerusalem in the Bible. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. If you go up uh, straight north, you see the city Antioch. That's in Syria. Syria became a sending church. This was the most evangelistic church in the New Testament. You don't know a lot about it. This is where Paul got all of his resources and people to go on missionary journeys. Uh, they were way more successful than Jerusalem in planting churches. And so Paul's first journey, and you can see we're, we're going into Galatia, and you've got to go through a couple of, uh, I don't know if you want to call them countries or kingdoms. This is the, all the Roman Empire back in the first century. But you go to the cities of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and then Antioch off to the left, or kind of right in the center of the screen. Those were the Galatian churches that Paul was writing to. This is called the Southern Galatia. And um, that would be like part of modern-day Turkey today. So that's the area, and those are the cities, and you can read about them in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Uh, second point, second, let's go on on your outline. Greeted with grace from God, verses 3 through 5. The greeting, verse 3, this would be a common greeting uh, for the Apostle Paul. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This time he reverses the order of God, the Father, and Jesus. But he begins with grace and peace. Those are, uh, that was a common, grace to you would have been a common greeting in the first century in the Greek world, grace to you. But in, in the Christian context, this takes on a pretty unique, and this is probably Paul setting out a new Christian greeting. If this is the first book he wrote, this is the first time it's been written, period. Grace and peace to you. Grace means favor, God's unmerited favor. He's offering a blessing to his readers. And then he says peace, and peace was the common Hebrew greeting, shalom, Hebrew word, but he's writing a Greek word here, shalom, and the idea is peace be with you. The idea is may you be well, may you be healthy, may you be blessed. And uh, Paul is breaking down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Greeks, and he wants people to understand the church stands as one, and he offers this greeting of grace and peace to the Galatian churches. Um, grace is about God's salvation. Grace is about God's work in salvation. Peace is the result of God's grace. This is the Christian greeting that enters the world. Verse 4 and 5, uh, we learned of the grace, more about the grace. Uh, now he describes why God's grace is such a big deal. Um, he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ from verse 3, and then verse 4 he says, the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is grace. Jesus gave himself for us. This is grace. In theology, we call this the substitutionary atonement. 
Jesus became our substitute. And I'm just, let me just remind you of uh, what's involved in this concept of grace or the, and this concept of the gospel. There is both good news and bad news when it comes to the gospel. If we start with the bad news, it's always good to start with the bad news first because the good news is better. The bad news is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. Everyone is a sinner. And I just realized, you know, one of the biggest problems we face today is communicating or for people to understand that they are sinners. It's easy for me to know I'm a sinner. Now, I didn't always know that or didn't always believe it. But people don't need Jesus because they don't understand why Jesus died. They, they, don't, they don't think they need him. Um, but that's bad news. All have sinned, Romans 3.23. More bad news is the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death, it's eternal death, it's spiritual death, it's separation from God, and Jesus called it hell. That's bad news. The good news is God sent his son to pay that penalty that we owe. Good news. This is grace. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He stood in there and took my death. The wages of sin is death. I deserve the death. 2,000 years ago, he died for me. I didn't even know it until 1974. Didn't know that he died for me. And then I placed my faith in Jesus, his death on the cross. Uh, Acts uh, 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. And that's, God's, that's, that's part of the good news. Our responsibility is not to try to be perfect and not to try to be better and better and better and be good enough. Our responsibility is to trust what God said about his son. Is to believe what Jesus did on the cross. That's our responsibility. It's good news. It's pretty simple. In verse 4, we see that he gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. Um, he rescues us. He delivers us. Does this sound like the book of Exodus? God delivered his people out of Egypt. Now God has delivered his people from the power of sin and death and hell through Jesus Jesus provides an exodus. And it says, um, according to the will of God our Father. This is God's will. Uh, Jesus did all of the work. That's what grace is. He did everything. There's nothing you and I can do to help it. It would be a slap in his faith if there was something we do that made it better. Because he did it. It was total and complete and absolute and done. No more to add to it. This was God's will, and it's God's will to deliver you. That's what it's saying. According to the will of God and our Father. And then Paul just goes into an aside here, verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Paul just moves to worship. Paul just can't hold back and say, thank you, God. This is amazing, God. I can't believe what you've done for me. And you've done this for the whole world, and all we have to do is tell people about it. And you're at work helping people understand 
And you want us to pray and be involved. You don't need us, but you choose to use us. And people are coming to faith everywhere. And Paul said, this is amazing. Paul has just moved to worship. So, you know, Jesus died for you. A lot of you in this room know that. A lot of you have placed your faith in Christ. You know your sins are forgiven. So how has that prompted you to worship today? Did you worship before you came in here today? Were you thankful when you woke up this morning? You thank God for what he provided for you at breakfast? Or that you can breathe today? As Luke reminded us in his prayer, there's a lot we can be thankful for. There's a lot we can be grateful for. There's a lot. When we realize what God has done for us, it's called grace. Um, Grace is unmerited favor. We've talked about that in great detail. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is another book, same idea, by grace, God's favor. It is through that you've been saved, saved from the penalty of sin, exactly what we've been talking about. It's through faith. It's not by works. Look at this. Uh, This is not from yourselves. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how good you are or what family you came from or what country you were born in. It is a gift of God. That's grace. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one could boast because if it were by works, we'd have people kind of out there in front and kind of see what I'm doing here, you know, kind of getting attention for, and then pride comes in. There's another way, it's called God's riches at Christ's expense. Have you seen this? Next slide. Keep going, God's riches at Christ's expense. This is a good way to think about grace. It's what God has done for us. Uh, It's grace. This is really a big deal to the Apostle Paul, and it's why he wrote the book of Galatians. John 3.16 puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's not about how good you are or will you be good enough or what do you have to do. God sent his Son. That was his gift. God gave It's grace. This is the work of God. Now we come to the third part. Warned with a curse from God, verses 6 through 10. And now we deal with the problem. We get right to the problem. This is early for Paul. Paul likes to praise his church. He likes to encourage his churches. He likes to say what he's thankful for. He's like to say what he prays for. He is not going to praise or encourage the Galatian churches. He is going right to the main issue, the problem. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Um, Not only are you deserting the gospel, you're deserting the one who calls you because that's not how he operates. It's about grace. It's not about you doing works to, to, to achieve anything with God. It's about understanding salvation is by grace and what the book of Galatians is going to unfold is a Christian life is about grace and the way we live the Christian life is Christ through us and his strength 
And I can do what God wants me to do by God's strength, not by my own strength. And when I fall back into my own strength, I end up with legalism and it's empty. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Um, What's the problem? They've started with grace. They believed Paul's message. Paul came to them. He communicated the gospel. Christ died for you. He was buried. He rose again. He paid the price for your sin. You need to believe in Jesus. And they embraced it by faith. Yes, we believe. And they were saved from the penalty of sin. And then there was missionaries of new truth who invaded their territory and had some new things to say that got their attention. A new, improved gospel. They were false teachers. They had invaded the Galatian churches. And now the Galatians are confused about the truth. In Acts 15, 1, um, here's what the problem was. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Coming from Judea, they were Jewish by background, perhaps even Jewish Christians or so-called Jewish Christians. They truly could have been converted, but themselves sort of come up with their own version of Christianity. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What do you think of that? What's this about? They're saying, okay, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. You need to believe in Jesus, and you're going to have to keep the law of Moses. Okay? So first off, men, you got to be circumcised. This is a big deal to the Greeks, to the non, to the Gentiles. The Jewish had, people had taken care of this when they were eight days old. The male children were circumcised. But this teaching was not from God. This was, this was a human perspective superimposed on the gospel. And we call it legalism because it's adding rules to God's rules. It's, it's adding man's rules to God's rules. And that's really dangerous when you begin to add rules to what God says. Rules that aren't God's, rules are human. Okay? It's a big problem. That was the problem they were facing in Galatia. The confusion, verse 7, which is really no gospel at all, referring back to verse 6. The false teachers, we're going to call them Judaizers. Uh, Judaizers is not a good term. It's it's about people who are trying to uh, bring a Jewish flavor into Christianity and change Christianity uh, to a uh, false perspective. So Judaizer is, there's nothing positive about that term. Uh, there's a lot of positive things you can say about the Jewish faith and Jewish people, but there's nothing positive about this concept of Judaizer. Um, verse 7, which is really no gospel at all, this different gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And um, this is a huge issue to Paul, perverting the gospel of Christ. What are the implications if you pervert the gospel of Christ? 
And you think about that? What are the implications? What if you start telling people something that's not true about the gospel? It's a live or die situation. It's hell or heaven. Uh, where does confusion like that come from? Uh, what source would distort the gospel? Well, humans have the capability. Verses 8 and 9, Paul gets really strong here. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And I, I hope you see, you know, for Paul, this is serious stuff. I would say for God, this is serious stuff. Uh, he does not want to be patient about this. He wants correction about this issue right now. He's saying, if Paul says, if I, the Apostle Paul, if the other apostles, if an angel comes down from heaven and gives you a different gospel, may they be eternally condemned. That's how big a deal this is. Okay? Some of you know the story. Um, September 22nd, 1827, an angel named Moroni appeared to a man named Joseph Smith in a dream and told him about some uh, writings in a foreign language that were buried, and this writing was translated because Joseph Smith was given rose-colored glasses so he could see and understand the writings, and he, out of that he wrote the Book of Mormon because an angel gave him this writing. And in the Book of Mormon, we learn that God the Father actually has a physical body and that God the Father actually had sexual relations with the Virgin Mary and that Jesus actually has a brother named Lucifer and that Jesus had many wives and many children. In fact, you if you follow Mormonism, have the opportunity to become a god yourself. Now, what do you think the Apostle Paul would say about the message from Angel Moroni? Well, nothing? Verse 9, and we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Slight change in wording, but Paul makes it very clear. What does Paul say about the gospel? Let's just remind us from 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is the message he preached. He preached it to the Corinthians. He preached it to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians. Which you received, on which you have taken your stand. You were born again with this gospel. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Next slide. 
for what I receive. Paul's saying what I got from Jesus firsthand, face to face, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, I passed on to you as of first importance. Not second, not third, first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And for the Apostle Paul, that's the gospel. There is no other gospel. There's no different gospel. This is the message that we need to communicate. This is the message that we need to understand to be saved from the penalty of sin. Last verse, verse 10, the priority Paul mentions. He says, am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? The Apostle Paul has uh, two main reasons to write the book of Galatians. One is to clarify the whole issue of grace and the gospel. Make the gospel clear. That's his first issue. The second issue is his authority has been challenged by the Judaizers. They're saying, Paul, you're not really an apostle. You're not really the real deal. And that's why Paul has spent so much effort so far in explaining his authority comes from God, the risen Christ, the one he had meant, the one who gave him orders to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's saying, uh, so am I trying to win approval from human beings? Not. Or of God? Absolutely. Or am I trying to please people? No. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ because that is what the Apostle Paul is all about. He is all in on being a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's not serving a human cause or a religious group. His allegiance is to Christ. He is a servant of Christ. Jesus is his Lord. You know, for Paul... Being a servant of Christ, he does not sit around wondering if he should obey Jesus about this issue. He does not wonder if he should obey, issue, obey Jesus when he faces sexual temptation. He, he doesn't wonder if he should obey Jesus when it comes to pride or gossip, his speech. He has already decided what he will do. All he needs to know is what Jesus wants because he's the servant. His decision has been made. I serve Jesus. Question for us. Are we servants of Jesus? One of my favorite passages to think about, and it's a great challenge for me, is uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We're, and we're not going to use our last passage on the PowerPoint. I'm going to use Romans chapter 12. And Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so Paul is saying, and, you know, the amazing thing about the book of Romans, and you've heard me talk about this before, but there are 11 chapters the lead up to this. And what Paul says here, therefore, it's like I got 11 chapters to write. 
Got a lot of things to say about Jesus and his death on the cross and how that relates to the non-Christian and how that relates to the Christian and how that relates to the Jewish person and how that relates to the church and how that relates to your sin problems on a daily basis. And then he says, in view of God's mercy, grace, in view of what God has done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is reasonable. It's logical. When you think about what God has done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were always dead. Not good. You know, they put them on the altar, dead. They, had to, they were giving something away to God. And Paul says, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Way more complicated. It'd be easier to be dead and not worry about sin again or temptation. This is a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves to God today as a living sacrifice. Okay, God. And you can't do it perfectly, but you can do it. And it, it's about, do you want Jesus to be your Lord? Then you know, this is, a, this is just a good reminder. Wherever, once in a while, we just need to make sure we're on the right track. That we, we just can step it up to be where God wants us to be. And so, um, just as I close and, and as we pray this morning, just think about this. In view of God's mercy... Can you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? And when you do that, it's holy and pleasing to God. And Paul says, this is your spiritual act of worship. It's an act of worship. It's giving back to God. Now, it's just, you know, you, it, nobody expects you to be perfect. It's about walking with Christ day in and day out. So I get up tomorrow morning, and if I sin, you know what I have to do? I just need to confess my sin, ask for forgiveness, and ask God to fill me with the Spirit one more time. I can just keep walking with God and, and attempt to, to be a living sacrifice for Christ, to be a servant of Christ, okay? The problem is we get into this line of thinking where I'm not sure I want to obey today. A servant doesn't say that. Loses his job really quickly. Let's pray together. Father, we just humble ourselves before you and we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he paid the price for all of our sins. Thank you that we can come to you, even today, by placing our faith in Christ, if we've never done that before, by believing what you said about your son. Thank you, God, for your great mercy for us, that you've given us resources to live day by day. You've given us resources to overcome sin problems today. You've given us resources to help us with our relationships, to help us face the worries of the day, to help us face our financial situations. You've given us resources. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live for you. We just give you praise. And now, God, just for every person here who wants to yield themselves to you and, and maybe just offer themselves back to you again, Lord, we just uh, we, we open our hearts, we offer ourselves up to you. Uh, we want to be totally committed to you. We know we're not perfect, 
we know we, we won't be perfect, but we want to be yours. We want to be sold out to you. We want Jesus to be our Lord's, and we want to be your servants. You are the master, and we are your servants, and we commit ourselves to you to that end. For Jesus' sake, amen.